0: Good Friday services are deeply moving. At the church where I pastored, we removed most of the chairs and stripped the service down to people sitting on the floor. We also have crosses in the sanctuary where people can write confessions of sin on papers and nail them to the cross. So we hear for about 10 minutes or so the pounding of the hammer on nails and wood. It's a sobering sound. Our sins are nailed up there. Christ died because of us. He died because he loved us. We will be nothing but grateful to him paying the debt we incurred. In this episode of Groundwork we want to talk about Maundy Thursday as well as Good Friday and reflect on the sacrifice Jesus made for us. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Groundwork where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose,
0: And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we are in part two of our short three-part series on the Holy Week, also known as Passion Week, uh, depending on what tradition you come from. And in the first episode, we talked about the triumphal entry and Palm Sunday and also uh, the Monday that came after where Jesus went into the temple and cleansed it out. And uh, he actually drove out the ones who were stealing away and robbing the people of the opportunity of worship.
1: And today we will talk about Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. As you just said, Daryl, Mark, at least, brings us to Monday. What about Tuesday and Wednesday? What happened? Well, I mean, there were preparations going on for the Passover, but we did a whole series on Groundwork a while back where we looked at the teachings that Jesus did between Palm Sunday and when he got arrested on Thursday evening. So it was a time of final teachings for Jesus while he was in Jerusalem and before he was arrested. So that's kind of what happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and now in this program, we're gonna Going to go to Thursday, or uh, as it has been traditionally called, Monday. Thursday.
0: It's a word that we think about rarely, only at this time, really. And what I found is that it comes from the Latin word mandatum, which means mandate or command. And that comes from the actual passage in John 13, where Jesus says, a new command, I give to you, love one another.
1: Yeah, uh, maundy, uh so Monday command is in there. I confess I had actually been a pastor for a while before I ever bothered <laughs> to look up what does Monday mean. I would just kind of be, oh, Monday, Thursday, yeah. But that's what it means. It's the new command. Jesus gets a water basin in that upper room in John 13. He takes off his outer garment, and he washes the disciples' feet. Obviously, he's setting an example of true servanthood. In fact, this is what he says in John 13, verse 34, a new command, that's where the monde comes from, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another.
0: So if I'm imagining Jesus in this moment with the full itinerary of the things that you just mentioned earlier and the things that we know happened in this week of his life, the last week of his life, I could imagine that he might be stressed knowing that he's going to die on the next day after Maundy Thursday, which is Good Friday. But the Bible specifically says that he was showing the full extent Mm. of his love at this point where he's stooping down to like the the level of humility when name one rabbi that actually will wash the feet of their disciples. It doesn't happen in their time. He shocked them with this act of service and he blessed them as well.
1: You know, I sometimes have, um kidded around a little bit. You know, every once in a while, uh, you go to a worship service where they're going to do foot washing, right? The pastor, uh, actually, the president of my seminary, when he was installed as president, had a foot washing, and he had arranged to have a student, a faculty member, a board member. Well, these people all knew ahead of time that they were going to get their feet washed. I'm guessing they came to that service with the cleanest feet they'd ever had in their lives, right? <laughs> Made sure they weren't wearing socks that had, you know, lint that was going to stick to their foot. It wasn't that tidy for Jesus? I mean, these guys had been on dusty roads. They They probably had calloused feet. They might have been a little smelly, as feet tend to be. That's why this was a very servile task, a very humble but almost humiliating task. Only the lowest servant would be asked to do that kind of vaguely gross thing of taking their dirty feet in his hands and washing all that stuff off. Uh, This was— the, as you said, literally stooping low to set an example of love and of service and of sacrifice and of humility. So much wrapped into it, Daryl.
0: It's a beautiful thing. And so I, unfortunately, uh, Hollywood and the movies we see and all this and even the songs we sing, they sanitize, no pun intended, this idea of what foot washing is. It's not a pretty job. It's not a fun job, but it is an example for us. We wash feet because he washes feet. We serve because he served and we love because he loves. Now, that all is going on in the middle of the crazy week that this is for Jesus. He's he's being betrayed by Jews. He's having the Last Supper. He's going to be arrested. Garden of Gethsemane is going to happen where they can't even stay awake with him. He predicts Peter's denial. And a lot of these things are happening. But Jesus is showing love and love must be the key. It's got to be the key, Scott.
1: By doing this, again, I mean, Jesus is setting, right, exactly, the tone for what is about to come. Foot washing was standard then. Anytime you went to someone's house for dinner, a servant would wash your feet before you ate, particularly in a day when they reclined at tables so their feet were right there. You kind of wanted clean feet around the food. We don't do that anymore. So what is today's equivalent of foot washing? And, you know, we can always think about that. How do we serve each other today in a way that's parallel to this? And John picks this up in his first letter in the New Testament, 1 John 4, that it's really not literally about washing feet, but the example. John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete
0: in us. I'm hoping that that sounds familiar because that's exactly what Jesus is teaching them right before he gets arrested, right before he's put on trial. And loving one another has a serious implications on our relationships with each other. It, it says that everyone would know that we're his disciples if we love one another, and that's why it's a key characteristic of walking with Jesus.
1: In my preaching classes uh, at Calvin Seminary, uh, Daryl, I've got this uh, mantra, show, don't tell. Uh, It comes from uh, creative writing teachers who who encourage writers, look, show, don't tell. Don't just tell people information. Show them what it looks like in action. And here, Jesus is a great example. He doesn't simply give them a lecture on loving one another. That would be telling. No, he shows them. He takes off his clothes. He he kneels down by their dirty, smelly feet, and he he shows them what love is. And, of course, that's just – a preview of how he's going to show his love on the cross, on that atoning sacrifice for our sins, as John calls it in First John four, the passage we just read.
0: It's a beautiful thing to see that Jesus says, "Do you see what I've done for you? Now go do that for one another." He literally becomes the example of love, and we are called to that example. But in just a minute, we want to talk more about Passion Week and how Good Friday comes into play. So stay tuned. glad you've joined our Groundwork conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible.
1: You're listening to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose.
0: And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we've been talking about Maundy Thursday and uh, its origins and meaning, but now we want to turn towards Good Friday. You know, I've never really been sold on the whole title of Good Friday, just like I don't like the title of Good Samaritan. It's just we don't use the word, I don't think, correctly. And it's not good for Jesus on Good Friday. I mean, I understand the implications of it being good for us, but it wasn't good for him.
1: You know, um, John F. Kennedy was assassinated on Friday, November 22, 1963. And if after that anybody had said, hey, we're going to call that Good Friday, we'd be offended it's like how much you must have hated or what about martin luther king he was assassinated on a thursday april 4 uh, 1968 if anybody said we're going to refer to that as good thursday from here on it's like well you're a racist i mean that is horrible we never celebrate the death of our leaders or call the day they died good and yet we do for jesus and of course we've got reasons for that theologically but at the time it looked like anything but
0: good This is the day he gets handed over to Pontius Pilate to be arrested, to be tried, to be crucified, to be killed. And so we understand why it is not a good day. It also, it shows it here in Mark chapter 15. It says, uh, very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate? You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus made no reply and Pilate was amazed. Now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. The man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead.
1: What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified.
0: You mentioned this, I think, in the other episode, Scott, how it's interesting that these people had such a quick turn and Mm. change of mind. They were saying Hosanna on, on Sunday. And now these same people are saying crucify him now, which is crazy to understand because, I mean, Jesus is being falsely accused and he is actually being condemned for something he did not do, which is also a fulfillment of scripture from Isaiah 53.
1: Yeah, he's like a sheep led to slaughter, and he did not open his mouth. Jesus isn't going to answer these false accusations. He's not going to mount a defense. He knows that this is the will of his Father, that he has to go this horrible, horrible way of the cross. But indeed, Daryl, what a change in attitude in the crowds in just four days' time, uh, a horrible change. Uh, they'd rather have a genuine criminal released to them than let Jesus go. And as we said, that right there is evidence of what we said in the previous program program of this short series on holy week they called jesus a king blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord but they wanted a political king and as soon as jesus made clear that week through those teachings that he did on monday tuesday wednesday maybe through what he did in the temple driving out you know the the, the money changers it was pretty clear this isn't the king they signed on for this isn't the guy who's going to mount a political insurrection to get rid of Rome. And as soon as they saw that, it's like, well, that's not the Messiah we were waiting for. So away with him. You know, just let, let the let the chief priests and Pharisees do what they want because, you know, it's sort of like when John the Baptist came to Jesus through his disciples. John was in prison and the, the disciples of John asked Jesus, are you the one who is coming or should we should wait we for somebody else? else? And what they meant was somebody better, somebody flashier. And the people have decided, we need to wait for somebody else. This Jesus, he's not fitting the bill.
0: And so they picked Barabbas because they at least know that he was an insurrectionist. Exactly. I mean, he's got attempts at trying to overthrow something. So we'll go with him. Maybe he'll get us there. Um, And unfortunately, we do the same thing when we— have an agenda when we ask God to do things and he doesn't appear or manifest or answer your prayers the way you that we expect. We we sometimes turn our attitude and our heart and we should be the ones who repent from that kind of thing and allow the father's will to be our will, just like Jesus did here. But then also we see actually when he is getting ready to die in Matthew 27, Starting at verse 45, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema Saktahani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine and vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest... Said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit.
1: Jesus called Eli, Eli, which means my God, my God. Uh, apparently, people weren't much up on their, their Hebrew, uh, their Aramaic, because they thought that he meant Elijah. And now let's see if Elijah comes. That's not who Jesus was calling. And Jesus, though, wasn't actually calling for any deliverance either. He was just asking, why have you, you know, forsaken me? This is the darkest time right before Jesus died. Darkness has come over the whole land, Matthew tells us in verse 45 of chapter 27. That's literal, but boy, figuratively, Daryl, the darkness was even greater. And there's some indication that, you know, perhaps there was some kind of a gulf, that just for a moment for the first time in all eternity that opened up between jesus the son and the father and the spirit jesus felt abandoned this is as dark as it gets
0: so for one who has been with God from eternity past to be united with him always and to always be like, this is my father, this is my father, to be separated from him because he, that, that moment bore the sin of everyone and the punishment of everyone. But also it is an allusion to a passage that he said too, it talks about how God has brought him back from death and God is bigger than death. But then you also think practically speaking, a mother lost her child, the disciples lost their leader. And these are the dark shadows in which we figuratively put up darkness and put curtains up and have these colors. When we do worship services that commemorate Good Friday, it is a dark time emotionally, it's a dark time spiritually. And we wanted to remember that when we have worship services as well
1: tenebrae is the traditional word for a, oh, yeah. a Good Friday service. And it means shadows, a service of shadows to remember this very, very dark time. John Calvin was among those who think that this moment when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that this was Jesus' descent into hell. When we say in the Apostles' Creed, yep. he descended into hell, Calvin thinks that happened here on the cross, uh, that that was a hellish experience for Jesus and he did that, so we never will have to. Uh, but as we wrap up this episode, let's look at some uh, practical applications and ideas and what all this still means for us all these years later. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit familyfire.com
0: to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At familyfire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore
1: what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com.
0: I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Scott, we've been talking about Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And now we come to the part where there are practical applications, How the so what of the episode. So we want to make sure that we walk away with something that we can live by. And so we thinking about these things, and three points come to mind.
1: One point is that this was the most important week in the history of the world. This is where the devil is defeated. Uh, we're going to talk about that in the final episode of this short three-part series when we get to the resurrection, of course. But this is where Jesus wins the victory. I, Ironically, through death. We, we said earlier in this episode, we would never call the day of the assassination of a great leader a good. But the, the only reason we call this death good is because it did lead to the defeat of evil. It, it reversed the curse that began with Adam and Eve way back in the garden. Uh, God promised uh, them that he would send one to crush the head of the serpent, the tempter, the devil, and this is where that happens. And that's why, of course, theologically, Daryl, that's why Jesus is often called the second Adam or
0: the last Adam. The second Adam and the last Adam actually comes from 1st Corinthians chapter 15, where it says, so it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so we shall bear the image of the heavenly man. And being that Christ is the last Adam, he set straight all the things that Adam had did when he disobeyed the Lord and brought sin into this world. Christ paid the price.
1: This is where God undoes what happened all the way back in Genesis 3. All the damage that was done when Adam and Eve, as our first parents, fell into sin, Christ has now undone it. And so we call him the second Adam, and the last Adam. There won't need to be a third Adam or a fourth Adam. Yeah, I know. It's done now. Uh, The second Adam is the last Adam. I like what Paul does there in those verses you just read from 1 Corinthians 15. What we shared in common with the first Adam is we're dust, right? We're made from the dust of the earth. But now because we've been united with the second and the last Adam, now we also have the stuff of heaven in us. and, And the image of God that was smeared and distorted by the sin of Adam and Eve, that image is being restored in us now. So that's one practical application. Uh, This is the most important week in the history of the world because it's the week in which devil uh, was defeated and evil was put away. Second idea, Christ's obedience is our example.
0: So Christ, of course, we know this is the one that we're supposed to follow, that we're supposed to imitate. Our lives are supposed to be aligned to his. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to conform us to the image of Christ. And Jesus literally puts his money where his mouth is, so to speak, by doing so much and believing in the Father's will so much he's willing to die for it Mm. in a humiliating death on the cross, which Philippians 2 picks up and it says, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is a song that Paul put in the Philippian letter to their church to remind them of the humiliation of Christ that he voluntarily chose to humble himself. And that is the model that we should do. That is the model that Christ has left for us. We walk in humility because he did. We don't just consider ourselves. We consider others as well.
1: Exactly. Paul is saying in Philippians 2, uh, this whole story of Jesus on the cross, that's not just something to look at and appreciate. Yeah. Nope, that's your marching orders. Have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. So serve one another. It goes back to what we uh, thought about on Monday, Thursday, a new command love one another. So Jesus' story is not just meant to sort of be a nice thing to take in and appreciate. No, it's the example. That's what we have to do. And then the third point, this isn't the end.
0: I'm so glad it's not the end. If this were the end of the story, then our lives would be a waste if we followed Jesus faithfully. If we didn't uh, shrink back when people threatened to hurt us or kill us, we would uh, be wasting our life if the resurrection didn't occur. But because the resurrection did occur, our life is worth living and it is meaningful. But if it didn't occur, then we might as well go ahead and party and sin and do whatever we want. Step on everybody going up the corporate ladder because the resurrection, you die once and you're done if there's no resurrection. But Paul makes it clear that there is a resurrection in First Corinthians 15.
1: Some of the Corinthians Paul got wind of were saying, well, maybe he didn't really rise again. You know, Paul says, well. If it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. So is your faith. More than that, we're found to be false witnesses about God, for we testified about God that he did raise Christ from the dead. But he didn't raise him, but in fact, the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We'd be idiots, Paul says, to live sacrificial lives for Jesus if, in fact, he's still dead. But he's not. Spoiler alert, that's our next episode. But I think you, we all know Easter is coming.
0: Sunday is definitely coming, uh, but the issue is that we don't leap over all the drama, all the exactly. problems, all the darkness, all the shadow of death. We don't we don't leap over that. We go through the valley of shadow of death, and Jesus is actually going through that through Passion Week, showing us that He is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for us.
1: Exactly, and Paul points out in these passages and in other passages. Jesus didn't go through all that after we had kind of cleaned up our own acts and kind of became worthy of it. No, no, no. This all happened while we were yet sinners. When was the full extent of God's love shown to us? Not when we had earned it. Nope. At the lowest of the low, while we were yet sinners, and yet Christ died for us. That's what we remember, and for that, we give thanks to God.
0: Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Gerald Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we reflect on the events of Holy Saturday and Easter as told to us in the Gospels. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork.
1: Groundwork is a listener supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit reframeministries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.